All right, well, last week we, uh, we began a new series in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, the title of this series is True Grit. And um, a lot of you over the past week have said, that's my need right now. I'm in a place where I need grit. And so I'm kind of excited about how God is leading us uh, in this series. And last week, I introduced you to Peter as a person, and I told you a story. And when you, when you look over the portrait of Peter in the, in the Gospels, what you realize is that the Gospel writers are picturing him as the quintessential example of transformation. Peter is a person who was one way during his, before the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then he was a, another way afterwards. His basic personality, of course, continued but the way his personality was transformed was powerful. And it all happened because of the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I introduced the book last week, I said it's like there are uh, six concentric circles. At the very center is the theme of the book, which is our transformed identity. We're going to look at that this morning. And then what Peter does is he applies that transformed identity into our relationship with God, our relationship with believers, our, our relationship with the world. Then he applies it to suffering, and then he applies it to the future. And what he wants us, wants us to do is to apply our identity into those circles, starting with God, believers, world, suffering, and future. And so what I want to say to you this morning is like foundational to what we're going to do in the rest of the book of 1 Peter. And I'm, uh, this has been really transformative for me because I've seen in these verses such a, a robust identity. I'm kind of excited to share it with you. So let's just, let's just start, off, start off this way. You know that uh, these days on the internet, there are these un unboxing videos. How many of you have, have watched an unboxing video? Some of, some of you have, have, have done that. Let's say you want to buy a brand new camera. And you think, I don't know what kind of camera I want to buy. Uh, or maybe you say, I, I want to buy this kind of camera. I want to see what it looks like right out of the box. So you get into YouTube, you Google it, and all of a sudden you get something like this. Panasonic FZ2500 bridge camera unboxing and overview. You go, all right, that's, that's cool. Okay. So you, you click, and there's this, this guy on the screen, and he's simply pointing the camera down, and he's, he's unboxing the video describing it to you as he's doing that. Why do you want to hear what he has to say? Well, apparently he's an expert, and his opinion matters. So you think, okay, I like what I, what I see. I'm going to buy the camera. There are tons of channels like this. Here's the Sarah Grace channel. Uh, she looks like she's in high school. She's got braces. She's full of energy, and she unboxes various different products, including iPhones. And uh, it's kind of it's it's kind of cool, you know. And here's the thing that blows me away. There's this guy called Ryan, and he does Ryan Toys Review. In 2017, he made six million dollars, and all he's doing is he is unboxing toys. So here he's unboxing a little chef set, and he's got a little chef hat on. And Ryan, who's I don't know, he's six seven years old, something like that, he is making a lot of money doing that. By the way, that, that, that's why, this is why I think the study came out of what do you want to be when you grow up, 
And one of the first things on there was, I want to be a vlogger, a YouTube vlogger, video blogger. Anyway, because these guys are making a lot of money. So what I want to do this morning is I want to unbox your identity in Christ. I want you to, to envision that I'm going to take this box for you. I'm going to hand the box to you. And you're going to open the box. You're going to see what's in the box. And I'm going to show you how to use what's in the box. I could probably spend four or five weeks doing this, but I'm going to do it in one message because I want to apply this into the other areas of life. But I'm unboxing your identity in Christ so that you see what it is and you know how to use it. So let's begin at the very beginning with the first component of your identity. This is the foundational component, and that is you possess a new identity with respect to the world. You're living in this world. You possess a new identity with respect to the world. Here's how Peter begins. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, or you could say resident aliens of the dispersion. In other words, after the, the uh, persecution in Acts chapter 9, people begin to fan out over the ancient world, and they fanned out to Asia Minor. And now he's going to list those places in Asia Minor, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He says, you are these resident aliens according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I want to zero in on that resident alien idea. All of us, all human beings, have an earthly citizenship in some geographic location, right? Their earthly citizenship was in what we call Asia Minor today, or what we call Turkey, modern-day Turkey, or if you want to use the old term, the Anatolian Peninsula. That was their citizenship, and they were citizens of specific cities on that peninsula. And in the same way, everybody in this room has a citizenship somewhere. Most of us are citizens of the United States of America. We're citizens of the state of Oklahoma. We're citizens of Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We're we're neighborhood association members. We're citizens of some place. And I would hope we're thankful for our citizenship. I'm thankful for my citizenship as an American, as an Oklahoman. I, I was not born in Oklahoma. I was born in New York. Spent a lot of years in Texas. I love Oklahoma. And I remember a couple weeks ago when I saw the Children's Musical Theater production of Oklahoma, and they sang the song, Yes, I was up at my feet like everybody else was. I was clapping. I was singing. And I thought, you know, Oklahoma is a great place. I'm thankful for my earthly citizenship. However, if we are in Christ, we have a far more important citizenship that transcends every earthly citizenship. And that is we are citizens of heaven. And that means we're temporary citizens of this world. We're like sojourners, we're like pilgrims, we're like resident aliens, we're like wayfarers. Our earthly citizenship is transitory. Our heavenly citizenship is permanent. And our heavenly citizenship is located in this place that is called the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation chapter 21. You're going there. Jesus is preparing a place for you there. Your citizenship is there. So while my temporary citizenship is I'm an American, 
I'm an Oklahoman. I live in Bartlesville. My permanent and true citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, I need to champion that citizenship in a, in a big way. So uh, Peter does that in an interesting way at the, at the end of his book. Notice what he says. She who is at Babylon. Now he's referring to the church in Rome. She, the church, the church in Rome, she who is at Babylon. Well, why the heck does he use the word Babylon? What, what, what's that all about? He's, he's not literally in Babylon by the Euphrates River. What he's doing is he's highlighting the temporary citizenship of the church in Rome. You know, he could have said, we awesome Romans. Yeah, you know, Rome's a pretty cool place, like, like, you know, New York or Washington or Beijing or Paris or London. You know, we're, we're kind of awesome because we, we're the church in London. You know, what, what, what he's saying is, no, we, we are resident aliens. We are exiles. Just like Israel was exiled in the 5th century B.C., we, the church, are living as resident aliens. We're exiles because our true citizenship is in heaven. And so part of living as a follower of Jesus is recognizing I have an earthly citizenship and I need to champion that citizenship. I'm going someplace. I'm, I'm headed somewhere. So I have a son who fits this description beautifully. My son and daughter-in-law live and work in North Africa. And uh, my son, I don't know how he did this, but my son became fluent in Arabic in nine months. And he's very, very good. Um, and I'm, I'm like, I'm blown away by it. So, so is my daughter-in-law. They, they speak the language. They visit the local shops. They befriend the local people. They sometimes wear the local clothing. He, but, but he is a temporary resident of that country. And he will never be able to get citizenship. He's a citizen of, uh, of America. So he, he leaves, uh, leaves North Africa and goes back to Seattle on, on a, a, a vacation. And he's with my other son at a Seattle Seahawks game. And the national anthem is being played. And my son stands up. He puts his hand over his heart. He's singing with all of his heart. Tears are streaming down his face. And my other son looks at him and, and says, are, are you okay? He says, yeah, I love America. I love America. And that ought to be like us, you know? We live here. We like America. But I love my heavenly citizenship. That is my true home. So the challenge is this. How do I boldly live inside my two citizenships? How do we do that? Boldly appreciating the place where God has placed me in his sovereignty, but also loving my heavenly citizenship and championing that as well. Now, Peter is now going to advance a complementary concept when he talks about our citizenship. And here's the complementary concept. I'm going to go back to verses 1 and 2. He says, we're resident aliens according to the foreknowledge. And I want you to notice the, the, the entire trinity is in this verse. God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice the members of the Trinity. God the Father planned for your salvation. God the Son carried out your salvation. God the Spirit applies your salvation. And he's been doing that since before the foundation of the world. So here's the idea. 
I'm a resident alien and I am under God's eternal care. Like before my parents were born and my grandparents and their parents, before my genealogical line was ever founded, God knew me. He loved me. He called me out. That's an incredible concept. So here I am, a citizen of heaven, and that is a robust and powerful citizenship, but God has been thinking about me and caring for me since way before the universe was created. That's an amazing citizenship. I am not some random product of blind evolutionary forces. And oh, here I am living in the late 20th, early 21st century and I have all these advantages. No, no. You are a citizen of heaven and you were under the eternal care of the triune God who has loved you and cared for you since way beyond you can possibly imagine in time. It's incredible. Imagine for a moment that um, someone did something for you without even knowing about it. Like, like imagine that, that you needed a new heart and somebody died and they, they gave you their heart. How would you feel toward that person who died in their family? Immensely grateful. Imagine that a grandfather that you never knew paid off your child's student loan debt. How would you feel? Immensely, immensely grateful. We are citizens of heaven under God's eternal care. And the challenge is that we would explode in praise. Peter introduces one more concept about this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, let me, let me tie this, this into your identity here on earth for a second. Uh, grace, in this instance, means power. May God's power be multiplied. Peace, in this instance, means well-being. He's thinking about the Hebrew version of peace. It means well-being. He's saying, may, may power and well-being be multiplied to you. May power and prosperity be multiplied to you. May spiritual strength and God's, God's peace be multiplied to you. It, it's the idea that I have this, this power available to me that I can make use of. And so here, here's, here's, the, here's the idea. We are resident aliens. We are under God's eternal care. We have the potential for multiplied power and well-being in your life. That's your identity with respect to, the earth, to, to, to this earth. You know, somebody could say, who are you? And a lot of times, uh, a wife or a mom will say, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a mom, or um, I, I work outside the home doing this, but I, my family is this. You'll ask somebody else, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an accountant, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, I'm a football player. Uh, and what Peter is doing is he's saying, I, you have this very, very specific identity relative to the earth, and that is you're a resident alien under God's eternal care with the potential for multiplied power and well-being in life. He's given us a future, you know, new heavens, new earth, a past, God's eternal care, and a present, we have all this power that we can make use of to impact our world. That's your identity. A resident alien under God's eternal care with potential for multiplied power. And I wonder if this is something that you, that you think much about. It is really important to meditate on this. Imagine, for instance, that uh, your favorite basketball player is Russell Westbrook. 
You're, and and you're, you're, you're a 10 year old kid and your favorite basketball player is Russell Westbrook. And you go to your dad and you say, dad, will you please give me a Russell Westbrook jersey? Please, please. Because you're, you're a basketball player and you want that jersey. So your, your dad gives you that Russell Westbrook jersey and you put it on. You're 10 years old, you put it on, get out on the basketball court and, and you think, yeah, Russell Westbrook, what would he do? And you're doing his moves. You're feeling more confident. What happened? Your identity got changed from little 10-year-old kid to Russell Westbrook. And the important thing about this identity is that God has gifted you with this identity and he wants you to powerfully walk in this identity. You're not just, you're not just an Oklahoman. You're not just an American as great as that is. You're not just a, a citizen of planet Earth or the solar system. You're a citizen of heaven with the possibility for power and well-being. And we can walk in that. Now, here's the next section of our identity in Christ, and it has to do with our, with our future inheritance. And here's what, here's what Peter says. You, you enjoy a secure place with God in heaven. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's very similar to Ephesians 1, 3, isn't it? That I just read. Very similar. Peter is, knows Paul's writings and Peter starts off his book the way Paul started off his book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by God's, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So now he's talking about <clears throat> this inheritance that's coming. Let's zero in on that word. When you give an inheritance, you are granting assets to your heirs. Usually that comes by way of a will. Somebody who is in your family says, I want to gift this to this person after I die, and they can use it any way they want. It's an inheritance. So while you're your benefactor is still alive. Uh, you're the heir apparent. You don't have the inheritance yet, but it's going to come. And as a person who is in Christ, when you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, he adopts you into his family, and now you become his heir. So there are this, this, there's this package of benefits that is waiting for you in heaven. So what exactly is this package of benefits? Well, th think about this for a second. You have a loved one who dies. You are the heir. Usually that comes as a package of benefits. Maybe there's a house. Maybe there's, a, there's cash. Maybe there's a stock portfolio. Maybe there's a dog. There's a package of benefits. So let me, let me just give you the basic package of benefits that awaits you when you, when you go to heaven. Here's, here's the package. When you, the moment you come to, you enter into your heavenly reward, you get a resurrection body that will not grow old, it will not get diseased, it will not become depressed, it will never be anxious, it's a resurrection body that will be full of power, you will be able to do what you want to do. So, last day of VBS, Daniel, our youth pastor, said, all right, Pastor Rod, I'll, I'll give you a t-shirt if you come and dance on stage. I said, all right, all right. So I went up, you saw some pictures, I went up and I I danced on stage. 
And yeah, I've, been, I've been working out, so I wasn't, I wasn't too awfully tired. But, but, my physical body is not what it was when I was Daniel's age. It's not. I try to keep in good shape, but it's not like what it was in Daniel's age. Your resurrection body is going to be eternally powerful. And that, that is something that when you get into heaven, it's one of those things you think, you're going to get into heaven, you're going to be in this body, and you think, oh my gosh, what can this thing do? Ever been in a car like that? You know, get in a, a big, wonderful car, you think, what can this thing do? You're going to feel that way about your physical body. What can this thing do? You might, you might do a couple of backflips just to test it out. Resurrection body. And then you have a home in the new heavens and the new earth. Like Jesus has gone to prepare up that place for you. And, you know, Jesus knows you. He knows your tastes. He knows what you love. And Jesus is designing a place for you in heaven. And you get in there, you go, wow, this is exactly what I would have wanted if only I would have known, like, what to ask for. And then you get work that is meaningful and significant. You know, I was reading a, a study done by the Gallup organization, and that study was, was talking about um, what people want more than anything else in the year 2019. What they want is a job that's meaningful. And the Bible promises that. Revelation 21, verse 3, and his servants will serve him is a promise that God is going to give you work in heaven that is meaningful, purposeful, exhilarating to you, and perfectly tailored to your gifts. And then you'll be an heir of God, an heir. Like, whatever, whatever else that means, Romans promises were heirs of God, whatever else that means, that means that God is giving you himself. So that when you get to heaven, the thing you'll be like instantly conscious of is, God's presence, like it's all around me, it's in me, it's sustaining me, and that will be the most joyful thing that you can possibly imagine. We, we find that hard to kind of wrap our arms around that now, but you are an heir of God now, but will be fully an heir of God in heaven. Now, this promise of this inheritance should, should help us think about, like, can I screw this up? Like, can I... Can I, can I mess this up? Here's 1 Peter 1.4. Your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Can you screw that up? No. This is, this is saying that you are preserved for your inheritance, and your inheritance is preserved for you. It's the promise that I have this sure hope. In fact, Peter calls it what? A living hope, a living hope. So um, your, your promise is, is sure. You know, if, if I have an inheritance that is measured in Bitcoin, mm, that's, that's a little, that's insecure. If I have an inheritance that measured, is measured in the stock market, well, that's good today, you know, because things have been gone really, really well this summer, but it's not always so great, right? It, the stock market is not totally secure. If you have money that's just sitting there in cash at Arvest or Truity, uh, well, that's not all that secure either because if there's inflation, you know, that's not good for 
your money. So there's there's no perfectly secure place for your inheritance here on this earth. Not so in heaven. Your inheritance is being reserved. And again, that's why Peter calls this this a a living hope. You know, uh, a, a living hope is hope founded in reality. It's not a fantasy hope. Fantasy hope is, man, I sure hope I win the lottery. Fantasy hope is, is, is not like, man, I, I sure hope the Texas Rangers win the pennant. You know, a living hope is a hope that is absolutely sure and founded on reality. And I want you to notice that you're already receiving down payments on this inheritance. You know, over the years I've known parents who are going to give a large inheritance to their kids, but they're giving little down payments on that inheritance as time goes on. Little down payments to do this little down payment to do that, little down payment maybe to start a business, little down payment maybe to add a room onto the house when a new baby comes, little down payments that come. And God has given you little down payments on your, on your inheritance, little down payments that are, that are good for you. We see this in the phrase born again because born again is, is the idea that I'm physically born into my physical body, but I'm spiritually born into God's family And God blesses me and gifts me with little examples of my inheritance to come, the fullness of the Spirit, the abiding presence of Jesus, the ministry of the angelic realms. Little down payments he gives me. Future inheritance, but little down payments right now. And and what what do you do with this idea that I'm going to get an inheritance? Well, 1 Peter 1, 3, let's... It's wrapped up in worship, like blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why we're going to do our worship night this coming Sunday night, not tonight, but, but next Sunday night, is that we want to have a time where it's, it's just worship. It's just enjoying and encountering the presence of God. As we get into this First Peter series, you know, we realize that worship is a core part of our identity. So we ought to carve out some times where we worship just with the expectation of encountering the presence of God. Now, so far, we've seen two, two components of our identity in Christ. We're resident aliens under God's eternal care. We have this future inheritance with now present deposits of that. And now we come to the third thing, intimacy. We experience growing intimacy with God, even in the ups and downs of life. So in other words, I could say, you know, my identity in part is to encounter intimacy with the God. Like, like, who are you as a human being? Well, part of me as a human being is somebody who's designed to be intimate with the God of the universe. I have that capacity. You know, part of being a husband. You know, I, I need to cultivate a relationship with my wife. That's part of being a husband. Part of being a dad cultivate a relationship with my kids. Part of being a follower of Jesus is cultivating intimacy with the triune God. So here's what it says. In this, like this future salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anybody, could anybody say, yeah, I'm, I'm distressed by various trials. All of us could. We live in a fallen world. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. There's that term again, greatly rejoice. With joy inexpressible and full of glory. And now here's the key phrase. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now I got to drill into that last verse word by word just for, just for a moment to understand this concept of intimacy with God. The Greek word obtaining is in the present tense. It's the idea of progressively obtaining, progressively gaining, progressively securing this thing. Well, what is it we are progressively obtaining or progressively securing? He says it's salvation. Let me say something. The word salvation is used a bunch of different ways in the Bible. And it's not always used for eternal salvation or salvation from, from, from sin. It can refer to salvation from sin, but sometimes it refers to salvation from a temporary and dangerous situation. David would, would also say, would often say, you are the God of my salvation, referring to my salvation from a terrible event that could have taken place. Sometimes the word salvation is used to refer to the salvation of a nation like Israel. All Israel will be saved. But many times in the epistles, it refers to salvation in the present, like salvation from the present power of sin. And that's how Peter is using it here. He's referring to salvation from the present power of sin. In other words, he's referring to spiritual growth. So when he says, obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, he's saying, obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the progressive transformation of your life. That's what he's referring to. This is not salvation from eternal condemnation. It's present tense salvation, meaning spiritual growth. And so this is an interesting form of spiritual growth because he uses the word souls. And he's a Hebrew. And souls did not mean simply, like, I've got my physical part, i got my internal part, my physical body is my body, my internal part is my soul. So my soul being saved is the inside part of me is being saved. He's not talking about that. Because soul, in Hebrew thought, was your whole person. It was your spirit. It was your body, your mind. It was your, it was your physical body. It's whole person Salvation, salvation of the entire person. In other words, my body is progressively being presented toward God. My internal mind is being transformed. My spirit, where I make my choices, that's being transformed as well. It's whole person spiritual growth. It's whole person salvation from the present power of sin. Now, what he's talking about is transformation. And, and how, how is this happening? It's happening as the outcome of our faith. In other words, as I exercise present tense faith in the midst of the hard times of life, I am progressively being transformed as a whole person. That's a great promise. So if, if, I, could, if I could summarize it this way, I would say it this way. The salvation of our souls in verse 9 is this. We are progressively experiencing as the expected goal of our faith, the transformation of our whole being in anticipation of heaven. Now look, this, this transformation is not coming through, try to be super religious. 
or working hard on my own strength, or being a legalistic rules follower. Peter is clear, it comes from a growing love relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 8. Even though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Well, that love relationship is a daily walk of faith. As you engage in a daily, consistent walk of faith, even in the hard times of life, God is transforming you, your whole person, into his likeness. You know, he even says that we're, we're, we're distressed by various trials. You know, he's not talking about a, a salvation that means, yep, smooth sailing. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Everything's going great with me. It's awesome. No, the idea is that, yes, even in the hard times of life, God is shaping me and molding me and refining me and transforming me so that I am becoming what I had hoped to become, somebody who is transformed. And then that leads us to, uh, to now the final little paragraph here. We have some insight now. We've been talking about our inheritance. We've been talking about intimacy with God. Now he talks about insight. Our salvation is so valuable that angels and prophets are shocked and surprised and awed by what they, by what they see. Here's what he said. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that were to come. I want you to imagine for a second, it's the year 700 B.C. Isaiah the prophet is sitting at a desk. He's writing his words on animal skins. He's a brilliant author. He is intent on his words. He smiles as he writes. Isaiah realizes that his words are sparkling with life and truth and beauty. And then Isaiah gets to Isaiah 53, and his pace quickens. And he's writing, and he's excited about this mysterious person called the servant who seems to die on behalf of the sins of the nation. And I can imagine Isaiah getting to the end of Isaiah 53 going, God, who is this person? I'm, I'm writing about this individual who dies on behalf of the sins of the nation, and then it seems as if, as if he comes back to life. Lord, who is this? This is an amazing thing. And I, I wonder if the Holy Spirit said, Isaiah, I'm not telling you. This is not for you to know. This is for a group of people in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, in the year 2019. They're the ones who will know. You're serving them as you write. That's what Peter's saying. Imagine Daniel. You know, D Daniel's writing about the exact time that Jesus will walk into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. Daniel chapter 9, talking about the triumphal entry. Daniel talks about the exact month, literally the exact day that the Messiah will walk into Jerusalem. And I can imagine Daniel, after writing Daniel chapter 9, going, wow, Lord, like who, who is this? Who is this person? It seems like you've given me a timetable for this messianic figure to walk into Jerusalem. Who is this? I can imagine the Holy Spirit saying, Daniel, not for you to know. 
You're writing mysteries. Daniel, I want you to live in mystery because what I'm doing is I'm writing for the benefit of people living in Bartlesville, Oklahoma in the year 2019. Okay, Daniel says. Same with Jeremiah, same with Ezekiel, same with Micah, same with all the rest of the prophets. They were, they were thinking, who is this person that we are prophesying? Now imagine that I could bring all those prophets up here, okay? We got, we got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these, all these prophets are up here. And these prophets are looking at you. What, what would these prophets say? They would say, you guys are so fortunate. I mean, we were, we were wrestling over what the Christian life would be like. We were wrestling over who Jesus was and what he would come to do. And you guys are abiding in Christ. You guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize how fortunate you are? All the prophets would say that. And what they would say is, don't neglect your identity. Live in this identity. But it's not just, not just the, the prophets. It, it's, it's the angels, things into which angels long to look. Like even the angels are interested in this stuff. Because as great as the angels are, you have something you don't have. You have a savior. No savior died on the cross for their sins. You have an indweller, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not physically indwell angels. You have a heavenly father, your Abba Father. They love God. Don't get me wrong. They love God. They worship God. They're powerful beings, but you have something they don't have. And even the angels are going, wow, wow. And if they could materialize, and we would be too freaked out, if they materialized, they would say, don't neglect your identity. So let me give you some brief takeaways. Um, here's our identity. You're a resident alien under God's eternal care. You have an inheritance waiting in heaven. You're being progressively transformed, even in trials. Your salvation is so great. Famous people of the past and angels are even are, are astonished. So here are, some of the, here are some of the takeaways. Takeaway number one, please keep your identity at the forefront of your mind. Keep your identity at the forefront of your mind. You know, if you're a mom, it's easy to have the identity as mom, right? Because you got a little baby who cries for what you, only you can give her, mom's milk. If you're a dad, it's easy to embrace your identity as dad. There's a little baby who looks a bit like you. And so it's easy to be. But you know, if you're a stepdad or a stepmom, embracing that identity is a little bit different. You've got to be much more proactive. You've got to be proactive to embrace your identity as, um, as a follower of Jesus who, who has an inheritance, who has the possibility for power and intimacy. You've you, you got to be much more proactive. So I'm encouraging you to embrace that identity. Now, to help you with this, what I've done is I've created a chart. And we're going to pass, the elders are going to pass out this chart at the end of the service. But what this chart does is it shows you the flow, the thought flow of this passage. Here's your identity in verses 1 and 2. And your future is in verses 3 through 5, your future inheritance in heaven. Your present is growing intimacy with God in verses 6 through 8. And the past is the inheritance that fascinates prophets and angels. Your identity in the center is that you are a resident alien under God's eternal care. So what we're going to do is pass out... Um, something that looks a little bit nicer than that, 
And I encourage you, put this on your refrigerator. Put this on the mirror when you get up in the morning so that you remember, this is my identity. I'm a resident alien. I'm under God's eternal care. I have the possibility for multiplied power. I want to live in this today. So I encourage you to use those things that we pass out to you at, at the end of the service. And here's my second takeaway. Um, verbalize your transformed identity often. Verbalize it to yourself. If you, don't, if you never verbalize it, you, you won't live in it. So verbalizing it, it could be things like this. I'm a resident alien under God's eternal care. I, ho I hope you get that phrase that I've been using over and over again. I possess a secure future. I possess a loving present. I possess abundant privilege. I consider myself richly blessed to be in this place. Blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused me to be born again to a living hope. Verbalize this identity so that it stays with you during, during the day. And then finally... Um, manage your emotions around this identity. I say this because think about the emotions that are listed in this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an emotional outburst. And then he talks about living hope. Like living hope sounds great. Living hope sounds like I can, I can be confident about that. That's, a, that's an emotional response. Think about the word grieved. You know, you're, if necessary, grieved by various trials. That's an emotion. Then he talks about, you know, praise, glory, and honor. He juxtaposes grief with praise, glory, and honor. And then we see the word love. Verse 11, verse 8, is both an action as well as an attitude. And then he uses the, the phrase joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so the thing that I would say to you is that it's really important that you manage your emotions relative to your identity. Because if you let your emotions flow, like, like many of us do, they can flow into good places, and they can flow into bad places, they can flow where you don't want them to go. There's an evil one who would love to m move your emotions into really bad places. So God calls you to manage your emotions around your transformed identity. And I, I'm asking you to experiment with that over the course of our series.